0: I would think that most of us um, have seen this particular behavior that I'm going to mention. My guess is if you are a driver of a vehicle, you may have at some point in time exhibited this behavior. So what is it? Uh, seeing people texting and driving It irritates me. If I see you doing it, I'm going to call you out on it. The National Safety Council. Cell phone use while driving. 1.6 million crashes per year are attributed to texting and driving. 390,000 injuries each year due to accidents. One out of every four accidents in the U.S. is caused by texting and driving. And in 2020, 3,000 deaths. Now, I'm just guessing. I would probably, I don't bet, but I could put some money on this. I bet that I've driven more miles in a year, every year, than you drive. Just driving back and forth from my house to church in a year, I put over 30,000 miles on my car. That's besides any other driving. And I see a lot of people texting and driving. I see a lot of accidents. I can give you an example. Driving in this morning, my wife is dozing in the right-hand seat, and I'm driving along, and I see this car coming up beside me. And I see them speed up, and they slow down. They speed up, and they go to the right, and they go to the left, and then they speed up and start to pass me, and they get beside me, and they slow down, and the woman is on her phone texting in her steering wheel, just slows down, speeds up, comes across the lane, blow the horn. Okay, it just irritates me. Now, I get responses. Almost every time that I blow the horn, I get a response. And usually it's a hand response. I mean, it's just the way it is. Okay. Why do we do this? I mean, the only reason I'm bringing up, you know, three minutes of talking about texting and driving besides it irritates me. Um, why do we do it? We, we have ta- been told, don't do it. We have signs and billboards that says, don't text and drive. We see commercials on TV that says, don't text and drive. There are warning signs everywhere not to do it, but all of us at some point probably have done it, and it's almost like we say, "Well, it's not going to affect me. I'm not going to do anything wrong. I'm not going to have an accident. I'm not going to cross the line. Oh, Lord knows I'm not going to get killed in an accident from texting and driving. I'm well above that because I can do it. I'm just above all of that. I know, I know, y'all all know this, but we're to be on guard. We're to be on guard because in the case of texting and driving, it helps to protect us. It keeps us safe if we don't do it and we know that it is wrong. Well, as we get into this last sermon on this 40th sermon of this Roman sermon series, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 1.16. We've been talking about it for a year and two Sundays. And we end today. But we end on the note of two things this morning. One is a warning from Paul. He is reminding the church at Rome and he is reminding us this warning. And then He gives a confirmation of the mystery of the gospel that is through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we are verse 17, and I'll read to the end of the chapter since this will be the last sermon in Romans in this particular series. Verse 17, now I urge you, brethren, keep your eyes on those who cause dissension and Hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus or Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their own smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unexpecting. For the report of your obedience has reached to all, Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so does Lucius and Jason and Sopia, my kindred, kinsmen. I, Tertius, who, write, who writes the letter, greets you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me, and to the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you, and Quintus, the brother. Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the the eternal God has been made known to all nations leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds this morning for what you would hold for us through this, your holy word. We pray this in your name. Amen. I read a story not long ago of a, a little boy, a pastor was doing children's time where he called children up to um, you know, the platform, to the chancel area, and so the, the pastor, as the kids gathered, said to uh, them, do any of you know what false doctrine is? And the little boy that had come up raised his hand, yes, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, let me answer. And the pastor said, okay, what is false doctrine? And the little boy said, it's when a doctor gives a horrible uh, medicine to a bunch of people and it makes them sick. (laughs) That's it. He was thinking of false doctrine instead of doctrine, but I'm not sure he wasn't right. He he is. He's pretty close. um, Because there are some that give some horrible medicine, teaching, and doctrine to those who are sick, people who are lost in the world, and some that are saved but have the tickling of their ears. And these people claim for it to be the truth. Claim for it to be the truth. Throughout the New Testament church, there have been threats from false teachers. On and on and on. It has happened through the centuries. And Paul in this text does not list a specific group. He doesn't even list a specific doctrine as he's closing out this letter. But what he tells us, there are those in the church in the first century, and it has been that way till today, those whose characteristics are clear. They are deci- decisive, They are contrary to the teaching of the gospel. They teach for self-serving, their own agendas. They have what he calls flattery or smooth words to try to get you to listen to what they are saying. As I said, this is certainly prevalent within the early church. 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes to his friend, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of his hypocrisy, of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. And then Peter himself in the second letter that he writes in the second chapter, verses 1 through 3, he warns us of these false prophets. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift Destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words, with judgment from long ago that is idle. Their destruction is not asleep. We have these that were proclaimed by Paul, by Peter by others in the New Testament church that these would come along, that would preach, teach these false doctrines. But you might say, well, wait a minute, just a few weeks ago you said something about we're supposed to kind of love those within the church, we're supposed to kind of come alongside those that think differently than us? And I did, but that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the non-essentials. He's talking about the essentials of the faith. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's talking about beware, keep your focus, watch out for these false teachers, not those that may still live into the food or dietary rules that they grew up with or some of the rituals that they had. He is talking about doctrine contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there are those that have wanted to say Jesus plus something like Jesus plus works righteousness. But today, I would say that many are teaching or preaching in our churches today the gospel minus, not Jesus plus. And what I mean by that is this the gospel minus moral standards. The gospel minus. Accountability, the gospel minus responsibility to what the scriptures call us to. The gospel that says that they teach, oh, just do whatever because God loves you. Be happy in it. It's all for the taking. Besides, if God is creator of all things, then all things are good Partake, enjoy, live, and be happy. It's the gospel minus something. Now Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, and Luke, as we know, was traveling with Paul because as you read the Acts of the Apostles, often Luke will use the word we, or he will say something happened to us And so we know that Luke was alongside Paul in many cases. In the 20th chapter, he records Paul talking to the elders at the church of Ephesus. Listen to what Paul says, and this applies so much to us today. Be on guard. Keep your focus. Be on guard, he says, for yourselves, for all the flock among you, Which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to the shepherds of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells, men will arise speaking perverse things to drift to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that day and night for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You see, Paul is reminding the church at Ephesus, the scriptures are reminding us, keep our focus, beware, watch out for these false prophets that will come. Now, you say, well, that's great, but what did Jesus have to say about it? Well, Jesus was pretty clear also. In Matthew, the seventh chapter Verses 15 and 16, you remember these words of Jesus. Beware of the false prophets. They will come in in sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ravelous wills. And you will know them by their fruits. And then very clear in Matthew twenty four twenty four. Jesus says, For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect, even those who believe these false prophets will come. Paul is reminding the church that he has given doctrine to, the one that he has told about salvation in Jesus Christ, the one that he has said, there is nothing that can snatch you out of the hand of Jesus. You are his. You belong to him. All of the doctrine that he has been sharing and all the practical uh, applications that he has been giving to the church, he now comes to the end of this. Chapter of this letter, and he says, Hey, hey, watch out, watch out. These false teachers are going to be very subtle, their message is going to be devastating. In fact, it's going to look like they are. Dead on target. That they're going to sound like they know exactly what they're talking about. It's going to sound like the truth, but man, they have missed it—the target altogether. When I was in the Air Force, we used to um, go over to Bragg. Bragg has these huge range, uh, firing ranges, and we would do war games, and. Um, there's this one particular range that is just hundreds of yards long, and down at the, it's just, you see these dots down at the end of the range, and they're deuce-and-a-halves. Those are trucks, by the way, but they're they're called deuce-and-a-halves. And so these old, dilapidated, these deuce-and-a-halves that have quit running, they will take them to the firing range, and you get to blow them up. It's a lot of fun. So... Um, we would have grenade launchers, uh, rocket launchers, and we would be uh, at one end of the range, and we were to try to blow up the deuce and a half. Now, the right angle, horizontally, and the right angle vertically, that grenade launcher had to be perfect to be able to hit that deuce and a half. If, If we were off just one degree either vertically or horizontally, we were not going to hit the target. And it looked like if you were standing there watching me try to blow up a deuce and a half, you could not tell it was off that degree. The only way you could tell that I missed my target was looking downrange and looking at what I was trying to hit. Paul is reminding us the, these, that these sheep in works, uh, or uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, these wolves that are going to come in and try to give this message to you that looks like truth, that is proclaimed as truth, they have missed their target. You've got to listen. You've got to keep your focus. You've got to beware because they look good. It sounds good, but they're missing the mark few weeks ago, I was talking with someone, and um, they said they had been to a church where God was not mentioned in the entire service, and um, that's just not uncommon today in many churches. Um, I was talking to another pastor uh, a few weeks ago, and we were talking, and he said that um, there was a pastor at the church It was adjacent to him that said God has changed his mind on Scripture and that uh, the Scripture uh, is not to be implied or taken as the implications that it was once given. Um, I know a pastor personally that I have had a conversation with that says that Jesus is not the Son of God, uh, that he is just a good example, and that God did not raise him from the dead. And um, that he is just that person that was good enough that God chose him as an example. And that's the false doctrine that we are hearing today. And I've told some of you when I was going through ordination in the Methodist church, there was uh, a pastor that was going through with me. It's not in our conference. It was in another conference. <coughs> and I knew her stance um, on Jesus Christ, and this was it. And so um, I knew she was going before the ordination exam uh, committee. And so I asked her, I said, "Um, so how are you going to justify your position on who Jesus is to the exam committee? And she said, I know what to say. I know what they need to hear. But once I get into the church, I'm going to set them straight Of really who Jesus is. And there's pastors. In the pulpits today. That are preaching. A false gospel. Paul warned of us. That in the first century church. And he's warning as he closes out. This particular letter. To the church of Rome. He is warning them. What is interesting is is as he closes out this section he, he says in the latter verses here but I've heard the report of your obedience. It's reached everyone. You have been obedient to the Lord. You have been wise. You have been good in your decision making. You've been wise. You know Rome was the center of just about everything. And Jerusalem, where it was certainly the center of the Jewish faith and home of the Christian faith, as Christianity began through Paul's ministries and his missionary journeys began to to spread out into other parts of the world as he and Barnabas and Silas and, and Luke and others and Timothy, and all began to carry out this message of the gospel. Rome was still almost the center of the universe of this time. I was flipping through some channels yesterday. Uh, as uh, those of you that know, I'm a sports fan. I love uh, college football. And so I was flipping through, and um, one of the golf tournaments, it's called the DP Tour, uh, they're in Rome, Italy, for their tournament, the Italian Open. And I told Terry, I said, you know, of many places that, I would have on my bucket list to visit, Rome would be one of those places. And it's not because of Peter's Basilica, it's not because of the Vatican City, it's just from a historical standpoint of how long the city has been around and the people that have walked those streets. And, and Paul is understanding look, you are in this culture in Rome that has everything that could draw you aside, everything that could pull at you every type of teaching that could be contrary to the gospel. And I've heard about your obedience, and I want you to stand firm. Keep your focus on the gospel, on Jesus Christ, and that it is Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. As you obey him, Jesus, through the power of his Spirit, will give you peace, will give you understanding, Because Satan is going to be crushed. You see, as we open our hearts and our minds to what the Holy Spirit has for us through God's word, God begins through the Holy Spirit to give us understanding, to reveal to us who he is and what he has done. We are to keep our focus. The message is the same today, church. We are to focus on Jesus, on his word, and on his truth. We cannot allow ourselves to be swayed by what sounds good, what people say may be profitable to you, what sounds all okay. We have to watch for Satan, for his demons, for those that he is using to say, it's okay. Don't you enjoy that? Didn't you enjoy that before you gave your life to Christ? And then there's those that look at you and say, oh, you're just naive. You believe in this book that men wrote and you believe that God actually inspired it. You, you believe in that stuff. Our understanding and believing of the gospel is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have to keep focused on him and on his word and nothing else. There, the Pew Research firm just came out this week with a new survey, I'm we'll share a little bit about that during the Sunday school time. But there's, there's statistics, and they went over the last 50 years of Christianity in America, and in the next 20 years, Christianity will be a minority religion In the U.S., meaning that the fields are white for harvest. The fields are white for harvest. The apostle adds in these closing words, be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. Many Christians today rationalize in, in their behavior. What they would do is they'll watch degrading movies or television programs or they will look at culture and say, oh, it's okay for me to participate in that or me to watch that or be a part of that because it's helping me understand what is out there. It's helping me to have an, a familiarity with culture. I'm just analyzing the secular culture. Did you know it's not necessary to sift through the garbage to recognize that it's garbage? And if you stay with the garbage long enough, you go smell like it. We are more willingly to associate with evil sometimes. And as we do, that drags us down to its own level. To be innocent of evil doesn't mean that you ignore it or or are ignorant of it or disregard it. Yes, we have to have some understanding of what is evil. But here's the analogy that I would like to to give you. The only reliable way to recognize a counterfeit bill is to realize what a genuine bill looks like. And so the only way to recognize evil is to be thoroughly familiar with what is good. And the only way to understand what is good, to learn what is good, is to learn God's word. To understand and believe in what God has said. The FBI has this group that studies counterfeiting. And they will tell you that what they do is take a real bill, a a true bill and study everything about it, every accuracy about it, every dot, every piece of it, they know what it looks like so that they can identify what is counterfeit from what's real, and that's where we're at. We need to be able to identify what is evil, Paul says, hey, watch, keep your focus, be innocent. In what is evil? Paul trusted those that were around him. He's closing this letter and he's giving this warning. And as he did before the warning and as he does now in just a few verses after the warning of watch out, keep your eyes, be on guard. There are going to be false prophets and teachers among you. He again lifts up a few people to commend for their service. And of course, Timothy is one of them. Timothy is going to be one that he entrusts to carry on his work in that providence. And so he begins to close out as he closes his letter. Maybe even he took the pen from Terturus and said, hey, let me, let me finish this. You have been scribing for me throughout this letter. Let me finish it, maybe he said. Because as he finishes this letter, he gives us this wonderful doxology. He gives us this understanding of the mystery of faith, of what Christ has done. And first he tells us that the gospel has been established for men. is one that is one that calls us to faith. The Holy Spirit woos us. The Holy Spirit calls us. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings us into relationship with God. If it was for ourselves, our religion would be ourself. We would not come to Christ if it was not by the, the calling and the wooing of the Holy Spirit. Through the gospel, God is able to establish the minds and our minds and hearts as believers in the truth, certain truth, His truth. He is able to help us to understand and know the standards of righteousness that we're to live into for his name's sake. He reminds us of the grace and mercy that is offered through Jesus Christ. He reminds us of the love and care of whose we are and the fact that as a believer in Jesus Christ, we have eternity before us. This is the only true in certain gospel. It is there that we could proclaim, as Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him until that day. Somebody ought to say Amen. amen. Thank you, Jesus. Not only does he call us to faith through the Holy Spirit in this gospel of Jesus Christ, the only gospel of God that establishes men is the gospel that is proclaimed, that proclaims Jesus the Christ. The major theme of Romans, this major theme of all scripture is Jesus from the beginning to the end. Paul, in this letter, proclaims the supreme commitment that we're to have in Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul says, we preach Christ crucified and nothing else. This is the gospel in which we are to preach Christ crucified. Christ who came from heaven. Christ who was born of a virgin. Christ who lived. He died and was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. This is the Christ we believe in. This is the Christ that we preach. The gospel that established us and proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord also reveals God's divine mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, Paul says. This mystery that was proclaimed by the prophets has come true in Jesus Christ. This mystery has been revealed. Paul crowns this marvelous letter with the mystery of faith coming true in Jesus Christ who he says as he praises the one wise God. He could have You know, closed his letter with the only powerful, the only loving, the only gracious God. He could have closed the letter that way, but he didn't. He closed it with the only wise God. Maybe that was for emphasis. That the infinite wisdom of God is the only way of salvation. The only plan of redemption this mystery of faith that has come true this mystery of faith that is proclaimed in Jesus Christ in the letter to the church at Ephesus in the third chapter Paul writes these words beginning with verse 8 listen to what he says to me the very least of all saints this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light that which that what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. You see the mystery which for ages had been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purposes which he cried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, God, God's purpose, Paul is lifting up. It is God's purpose, this will of his, this wisdom of who he is. It is through Jesus Christ that God supremely revealed not only his great grace, but also his great wisdom. And it is to that that Paul closes this letter to the great God, his wisdom. Therefore be glory forever. Amen. You see, church, our focus has to remain on Jesus. It has to remain on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has to remain on his word and his truth. And we have to understand it and learn it. We cannot allow ourselves to be diverted in any way by these false doctrines, by the false teachers that are in our churches today, that are on the TVs today. We have to stand firm true to the gospel, and no other. Paul, Jesus, Peter, God's word, your pastor, urges you to keep your focus. Because the world and Satan is going to tempt you at every turn keep your focus church on jesus let's pray father god thank you for your letter that you through paul penned to the church at rome we thank you for these 54 weeks uh, that we have been in romans Uh, Father, we thank you for what it has taught us. I pray, Father, as we look at this and these final verses of this letter that we will be reminded to keep our guard, to keep our focus on you and not on other things. I pray, Father, that as we think about the closing verses of this letter that we will be reminded of this wonderful mystery of faith, this mystery of the gospel that came to fruition in Jesus the Christ, Jesus our Lord. We thank you, Father, that as we come to faith, as we believe in you and in your word and in your Son who saves us, that one day, one day, we will stand before you And the gift and inheritance of eternal life that is given to us through Jesus will be received. Father, until then, guard our hearts and minds. Let us continue to keep our focus on you. For it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.